Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Uh, youth class can be dismissed this morning. We do have a guest speaker in our youth class. Brother Andrew Herbst will be speaking to our young people. We honor Brother Andrew Herbst for that. He will also be speaking. Yes, absolutely. Brother Herbst will be also speaking tonight. You do not want to miss it at 630. He's an anointed man of God, and you do not want to miss that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. It says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest. Everyone say rest. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. With the help of the Lord, I'm going to preach on weary in the wilderness. Give your neighbor a high five as you're seated. Tell him it's good to see him in the house of God today. Amen. Weary in the wilderness. At 11 o'clock on the night of Friday, April 25th, 27-year-old Aaron Ralston parked his truck at the Horseshoe Canyon Trailhead west of the Canyonlands National Park in southeastern Utah. He slept in just a covered bed. The next morning around 9.15, he bicycled five, 15 miles south along Mays Robbers Roost Road until he reached a shortcut leading to the head of the Blue John Canyon's main fork. He locked his mountain bike up to a juniper tree and he set out on foot toward the gulch. By 2.45 p.m., Ralston had started his solo descent into the deep, narrow slot of the Blue John Canyon, passing over and then under uh, boulders that clogged the three-foot-wide passage. Ralston was negotiating a 10-foot drop between two ledges when an 800-pound boulder shifted above him. He snapped his left hand out, out of the path just in time, but unfortunately his right hand was stuck between the rock, the boulder, and the sandstone wall. And of course, that would be a place to say, is that where a rock and a hard place comes from? But I don't think it's appropriate because this actually happened, okay? But I had to say it anyways. He was legitimately in a rock and a hard, he was between a rock and a hard place. And so Ralston was trapped alone in a remote canyon. Rescue was very unlikely due to the, due to the spot where he was actually at. Unfortunately for Aaron, he, he forgot to actually let someone know where he was hiking that day. No one knew exactly where he was at. And so he spent the first of his five nights in the canyon working on just trying to loosen his hand. And it was not working. He was trying as hard as he can. This 800-pound boulder was not moving whatsoever. And so he moved to plan B. He started chipping away at this 800-pound boulder, trying to get his, he was using his multi-tool. He was trying to break the boulder apart to just, just give him a sliver of this, uh, where he could pull his hand out of this boulder and nothing worked. He was out of water, he's out of food, he's out of time, he's out of hope. He was in a very desperate situation. Unfortunately for Aaron, his last resort was this, to cut his hand off. 
And so here he is, this man, no one knew exactly where he was at. His knife was dull from trying to break this boulder up. He had no idea where to go, and so he said, there's only one way out of this situation. And so with his dull knife, he started trying to cut his skin and try to cut his arm or his hand off in the, in the spot there. It did take a little bit of time. He did do it. He said in his interview that when, it, when his hand finally got released from his body, it was still stuck on that boulder. He literally said the amount of joy that was a, had overcome him in that moment. I'm thinking, what? That had to hurt. But, of course, adrenaline was probably playing a major factor in that. There was obviously details in there. But this is a true story of perseverance, uh, perseverance and determination. And, you know, I got thinking about the wilderness because being weary in the wilderness, what does it actually mean? But I will say that the wilderness always is a proving ground. Everyone say proving ground. There are wilderness experiences in Scripture. There, there's so many uh, times in the Bible where it talks about going into the wilderness. And they were, they were, David was there, and Joseph was there, and all these people, these men of God were in the wilderness. And usually it's meaning a dry, a desolate, and an isolated land. There are people like Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers who worked for years as a slave and he was in what you would consider a wilderness type situation where he was isolated by himself and there wasn't a whole lot of hope. There's men like Job where the story of Job is just absolutely heart-wrenching by itself where he lost literally everything. He lost his sons and his daughters. He lost his cattle. He lost all of his earthly possessions and uh, due to all these different things that took place, but yet he kept the faith and, he, and the Lord blessed him double. You find the story of Moses in the Bible where story after story of Moses leading the Israelites out of captivity where it was in the wilderness that he was leading the children of Israel through. Miracle after miracle took place in the land of the wilderness there with, with Moses being in charge. You saw so many things take place. You saw the Red Sea. You saw, I mean, there were so many things that took place for the Israelites where there were so many miracles that it all took place in the wilderness. But there was also struggle after struggle after struggle in the wilderness as well. Moses spent the majority of his life in an actual wilderness. The, most of, the majority of his time was spent in a wilderness. And honestly, I could go on and on and on just showing examples in the Bible of men who were in the wilderness trying to seek after the will of God and trying to figure out what was going on in their life. And, but there's a purpose to every wilderness journey. There's always a purpose to why someone would be in the wilderness, whether it's trying to find the will of God in their life or whether they're just in a really rough time of their season in life. But I can tell you right now, there is always a purpose to every wilderness journey. The story of King David is one that is worth studying and kind of uh, picking apart today. And so I chose King David for multiple reasons, but he is one of the greatest kings of Israel. Uh, he, he led the Israelites back to morality, they, uh, back to power. He was, a, he was a great king. And, but yet King Saul, who was a former king there, he was the one who was, he was incredibly jealous. He was not a very moral king, and he, there was more immorality with him. And, and God anointed King David to become the next king. It was just, he, uh, King David, he was just a shepherd boy tending to his father's flock. As a young boy, as a young man, he killed Goliath. He, he was anointed as the next king of Israel, and you realize all these things took place in just a very short period of time. One day he's tending his father's sheep, and the next day he's anointed to be the very next king of Israel. A few days later, he's called to play his harp for King Saul, and then he becomes a national hero when he slays Goliath and wins you see, it was in a very short period of time in David's life where he was called to be the next king, and immediately he walked out in faith and said, I'm going to slay this giant. 
it was a very short time. And of course, if you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath, I'm not going to rehash the whole story. But as, as a young man, he saw this big, great giant who was, who was intimidating the Israelites. He was intimidating all the, the Philistine army, was inti- intimidating the Israelites. And here you see David, just a young man. He says, okay, everyone else is scared of this, uh, of this giant, but I'm not going to be scared of this giant. And so, of course, as the story goes, he picks up five smooth stones uh, in, in the brook there. He grabs the five stones. He puts them in his deal, and he, he, he goes ahead, and he grabs that rock, and he slings it at Goliath. And, of course, and we know the story, he wins, right? Knocks Goliath out and falls over. He cuts his head off and victorious. It's great. But the thing that you have to realize is that David understood his power was not found in his own strength. His power, he knew, did not come from his own training ability as a shepherd. His, his, own, his own power did not come from these things like that. But rather, he said, I'm going to come before you in the name of the Lord mighty God. Amen. And so we must understand today. That our power, our victory does not come from man. Our power does not come from those around us, but rather it is from the power of God that's working inside of us. So we can have victory the same way David did. We realize that the battle is not just mine, but it is the Lord's. The Lord is on my side. If God be for me, who can be against me? And I want to encourage someone this morning, if you're going through a battle, realize you don't have to do it by yourself, but you can trust in God because God has all the power in heaven and earth. It's not by our might, but it is by the power of God working inside of us that we can achieve victory in our life. And someone shout amen to that. You see, when God allows you to be a part of the miraculous in your life, the enemy does take notice. When miracles take place in your life, the enemy will take notice saying, oh, okay, that's great. I saw that take place in your life. And next thing you know, you're trying to, he's trying to tempt you and doing all these things. And I, I'm here to tell someone today. If you're being attacked by the enemy, the chances are high you're doing something right. I don't give a whole lot of credit to the devil because he has no power over us. But let me just tell you, he's not going to mess with someone who's really not doing much in their life anyways. If you're trying to get your family right, your marriage right, your life right, I'm here to tell you right now, God is still God. And he can still make a way out of no way in your life. He is still there on the throne. But when God allows you to be a part of the miraculous, the enemy does take notice. You find in the story of King David, 1 Samuel chapter 18, it says, And the woman answered one another as they played, and they said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth. He was very angry. And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed just thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And then it says, and Saul eyed David from that day forward. Here, King Saul, he should, be, he should be very set in his role as king. He has all the authority in the land. Everything was still running through him, but yet he was jealous because there was a young boy, a young man named David, who he knew was anointed to be the next king. All of a sudden, people are praising him, saying, oh, David can slay tens of thousands. David, David is so great, and he's so wonderful. And here's Saul saying, what about me? And there's so many things you can pick, about, pick out about the story of King David and King Saul, and you can go through this, but I want to make a quick point on this. It's simply this. It says that Saul eyed David from that day forward because the miraculous had just taken place. 
Saul had already, he already moved on from the fact that David had slayed a giant from the Philistines. He already moved on from the fact that it was a miracle that God did that. He's now worried about the people around him saying, well, why is David getting all the praise? And why is this taking, why is David being glorified? He's just a young man. It's not that big of a deal. But I'm here to tell someone today that when God uses you, the enemy will start looking at you. When God starts using you in a great way, the enemy's going to start trying to attack your life and start attacking your marriage, your family. He'll start trying to do these things because he realizes once you understand the true powers in God, and once you understand, then you move your life forward with that. There's nothing the devil can do about that. From that point on, Saul wanted to kill David. On at least two occasions recorded, Saul tries to throw a spear through David. And of course, once when, he was try- when Jonathan was trying to defend David, Saul even tried throwing a spear through Jonathan as well. And imagine being this young boy. He was anointed to be king prior to his miraculous defeat of Goliath. Before that even took place, instead of relishing in a victory, King David, or the boy David, is now fearing for his life. You got to put yourself in that situation. He went from a very big mountain hot, mountaintop experience where he was just feeling the presence of God and God used him greatly. Now he's thinking, how do I get out of this situation? He's now fearing for his life. And David knew that if he had stayed in Jerusalem, that death was absolutely certain. Therefore, he left the entire palace. He left home. He left all the things that was com- comfortable to him and he went to the wilderness Scriptures teach us that David spent the next 10 years. Everyone say 10 years. Scripture teaches us that he spent the next 10 years of his life living in the wilderness. David left home. He left everything that was comfortable to him to himself. He left everything that was around him and he went to the wilderness. And the thing when you think about the wilderness, it's not like a great place. It's not like a fun place to be in. It's a dry, it's a desolate land. There's not much life taking place. And here King, or the, the, the young man, David, he literally leaves home to go into the wilderness by himself. He's alone. He's isolated. There's nothing around him. You got to put yourself in that situation. He was fearing for his life. He, was, he probably heard those cracks at, at, you know, in the middle of the night where they said, oh, is that Saul coming after me? You, you got to imagine where he was at in his life. You keep on going through 1 Samuel 22. It says, David therefore departed thence. And he escaped to the cave of Dalim. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented, he gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. David goes from being by himself completely to them finding out that, oh, David's down here. And so they all go to the cave of Dalim where they start gathering these men. And you realize it, was not, it wasn't the greatest men of the land. It was not people who were prominent in their, in their status. They were not prominent in, their, in their, what they were doing for their living. But yet there was people who were in debt. It says they were discontented. They were crazy people. They were losing their mind. And all of a sudden there's 400 men in this cave with David. David goes by, he goes first by himself, all alone, isolated, everything like that. Now he says he's the captain of all these people, all of these crazy folks. I find that really interesting to, my, to myself just because I realized it, it became a very isolated situation. Now he's leading an entire army of people. God will equip you in the cave. When you are in the cave of your own life, when you're in the place, in the dark place of your life, you may feel like you're all alone. You may feel like nothing's happening. You're not in the right space at the right time. But I'm here to tell someone today that God will equip you in the cave of your life. When you are in the wilderness by yourself, God will equip you. It may not look like that right now, but God will absolutely equip you for what's coming next. 
It was in this cave that he became the, the, the base of operations for David. And it was here that he went from being just a lone fugitive hiding for his life to a leader of a band of just outlaws who were gathered together with David. You see, it was in the cave where God began equipping David for not just the work he was facing today, but it was for a greater work. Someone say greater work. It was in the lonely season for David where God started working on David in that cave. It was in the desolate place where God surrounded David with help. And I'm here to say that cave, Adullam, the Adullam literally means refuge. And so God knew what he was doing when he put David in the cave of Adullam because it was a place of refuge. It may not look like refuge. He's, he's running for his life. He's, he's terrified for what's happening next, but he went to a, uh, to a cave called Refuge. It may, not, it may not look like refuge to you right now. It may not look like you're resting in this cave right now, but I'm here to tell someone today, just because you look like you're in a bad situation, God has his hand upon your life right now. He has your hand upon your life right now. You, you just can't be weary in the wilderness. You got to keep on moving on and keep on pressing. You see, it took a cave for David to receive this. Not a mountaintop experience against Goliath, not against the Philistine army. It was not in a great place, but it was a cave where God started equipping David. It was in the cave where God started equipping him with his army around him. It was in the cave, but it took a cave to receive it. No one wants to go hide in a cave for a few weeks. No one wants to go in the wilderness for a few years. No one wants to go to a dry and desolate and isolated place by yourself. There is no one who actually wants that, but I'm here to tell someone it's the cave that's going to help you. It's the wilderness that's going to help you. The cave, it might be dark. It might be dreary. It might be lonesome, but I'm here to say right now, the cave is the answer sometimes. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Just because you're in the cave now does not mean you're going to be in the cave forever. What's that scripture say? Let us not be weary. Everyone say weary. Let us not be weary in well-doing, but in due season, not my time. That's the problem right there. A lot of times we say, well, God, I've been in the wilderness for a year, it seems like. I've been in this cave for a few months. God, I can't get out of this rut. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. But we're trying to focus on our time. In due season, you shall reap. When God's timing is right, it's going to reap in your life. The cave is there for a reason. The wilderness is there for a reason. But we must not faint. We cannot faint. We got to keep on going. We got to keep on pressing. We got to keep on trusting God. When life does not make sense, the best thing you can do is say, God, this doesn't make sense. Let me pray to you for a second. Brother Zalke, he told me a saying, this is a long time ago, and I've, not, I've used this, I can't even tell you how many times. Uh, my parents were going through a rough time, and I was, a, I was a young man, and I remember he, I was telling him, you know, how things were going. He said, well, here's the best thing you can do. And I said, what's that? He's like, pray. And I'm like, well, right. And he's like, well, that's the only thing you can do. And I said, you're right. The best thing and the only thing you can do is pray. And I'm here to tell you right now, God is a miracle working God and he is a prayer answering God. And so when life does not make sense, when life is not really working out for your favor, just realize that you got to keep on going. Even when you don't feel like keeping on going. Even though you may not feel like putting one step front in, the, in the front of another, even though you may not feel like doing these things, just keep on going. Keep on walking. Keep on trusting God. He has a better plan for you. After Saul was chasing after David, he sought refuge in the cave of Adullam. However, it did not stay a place of refuge for long. You realize the caves at Adullam are still very vulnerable to Saul's army. So David and his army find another stronghold, perhaps in the wilderness of Judah. While in that region, David goes to Moab, east of the Dead Sea, and he leaves his aging parents in the care of the king of Moab. 
He went from the cave of refuge, the refuge cave there. He says, okay, this is not safe enough because I know Saul now knows where I'm at. So he, he moves his entire army. These 400 outlaws, I'll call them, they're bandits. They're rough people. They're not the greatest military people you ever find, found. He takes all these people to the east of Moab, close to the Dead Sea. You go into 1 Samuel 23, 14, and it says, And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds, and he remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. You see, David sought refuge for him, for himself, and of course, his army. He went through mountains, through strongholds, he went through valley lows, he went through mountaintops to try to find refuge from King Saul. You see, David sought refuge with the prophet Samuel and the king of Gath. He has hidden in caves and cities, but he is not safe anywhere. It's very clear to him that Saul is going to waste everything he possibly can to try to kill him because Saul has spies everywhere reporting on David's every movement. And so David turns to the Judean desert for his own survival. When we think of the desert, the endless sands of the Sahara may come to mind. We may think about desert where it's just pure sand and everything like that. But this is not described where David is actually at right in this spot where you find in Judah. You would find an arid, a very rocky and rugged terrain or very better descriptions of where David is actually at. He was not playing in the sand dunes. He was actually in a very rocky and rugged area. The desert is a very dry place where water is not easily found whatsoever. It is barren and can be terrifying. It can be very lonely and isolated. But it is in the desert where there is refuge at times. You see, David goes from caves, a very dark and dreary place. He goes into cities. He goes into the mountaintops. He goes into the wilderness. He goes into the desert. He goes to all these places just seeking refuge, to seek after peace, and to seek rest. You got to imagine David at this point of his life. He's on the run for a very long time. I can tell you right now, I, it does not say it exactly, but I guarantee you he was weary from trying to hide. There's no doubt this man, as he was trying to save his life, as he was trying to stay, stay alive, you can, I can guarantee you right now that he was absolutely tired at times. There were times where he said, it's not worth it to keep on going on. There's times where, uh, surely Saul's going to find me here, so I, I'm just going to stay here, we're done. But yet, David just kept seeking after rest. He kept seeking after peace, and he, keep, he kept seeking after refuge. You see, wilderness times are very difficult. When you are in the wilderness, it is not always the greatest place to be. It is not always the best place for you to be there mentally. You see, it's in the wilderness that it strips us down to the essentials of life, to the very core, so we know who we are and what we are. Several times in the Bible, we see God using the desert to be a, a, a place to refine the people of God. The Israelites spent 40 years in the desert. Jesus spent 40 days in prayer and fasting in the mountaintops. The apostle Paul spent three years. David's time is not a time of waste, but rather it is a time of refining David for a greater work. For a greater work. And I felt led by God to share this message to us this morning by saying there is a purpose for the wilderness in your life. There is a purpose for a dry and desolate land. There's a purpose for the desert. There's a purpose for these things all around you. There's a purpose for where you are right now. It may not be a very good situation, but I'm here to tell someone today that when you are in the true wilderness of life, it brings you back to the center, which is very simple. When you say, God, I know I can't do this by myself, but I need the help of the Lord on my side. God, I can't go another day. I can't go another moment, but God, I need you to move in my life today. And 
And that is the purpose of a wilderness. It brings you back to true center. Life is crazy. Life is distracting. The enemy wants nothing more than us just to be distracted. We have our cell phones. We got social media. We got YouTube. We got, I mean, you got all these things. Then you get into workplace things. You get into drama, family stuff. You can go on and on and on and on for all these things. The enemy wants us distracted. Where we forget what our true center is. Where we forget, okay, God, you brought me here for a reason. God, you put me in this spot for a reason. What is that reason? And we always got to understand that God puts us in these spots to refine us. Because there is a greater day coming. There is a greater day coming. The Bible says several times that David inquired of the Lord. Through this whole the, 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 uh, book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, it says David inquired of the Lord so many times. Folks, when you are in the wilderness, you must inquire of the Lord. You must pray to the Lord because I'm here to tell you, it may be lonely right now, but that's the enemy trying to tell you about you're by yourself. But God is always with you. God is always on your side. He's always there walking with you. You may not feel like it right now, but if you pray to God, he is there in a moment. When you call upon the name of Jesus, I can tell you right now, Jesus sees you right now. It may look dark. It may look dreary, but God is on your side and God has a plan for your life today, but it's in the wilderness you got to survive just keep on going keep on pressing keep on walking god's got a plan for your life clap your hands if you believe that today hallelujah jesus thank you jesus the wilderness will absolutely test you the desert season will push you it will push you and i don't know who i'm preaching to today but i'm here to tell someone right now that god is always with you He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's never forgot about you. He always knows where you are and what you're doing. But it's us. We have to come back to God. We got to walk back to God. The wilderness, the desert season of life is not easy. Fatigue will absolutely come. Weariness will absolutely happen in the desert season of life. Hunger will take place. Isolation will happen. Desperation at times will take place. Loneliness will overcome you at times. Questioning will happen. God, why am I here today? God, what is happening around me? I don't understand what's happening. God, what, why did you put me here? There will be thirst in a desolate land. There will be feeling overwhelmed at times. There will be anxiety at times. There will be times of good days and there will be times of bad days. But there is a purpose for every wilderness season. It was in the dry and weary land where David was running from Saul, where he sought refuge in the wilderness of Judah. It was in the desert. He did not seek refuge in the city. He did not seek refuge at his home place, but rather he, he sought refuge in the wilderness. He was exhausted from running for his life. He was in a cave, and I'm going to read this Psalm 63. When you read the book of Psalms, you realize most of these were written by uh, King David. And obviously, Psalms are one of the greatest books in the Bible. I love the Psalms. And here we find in Psalm 63, he is in the midst of the wilderness. He is seeking refuge from Saul. He is seeking after just peace and trying to stay alive. And yet he penned these words in Psalm 63. Verse 1 says, a Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Put yourself in that situation. You can leave that up there for a second, Brother George. Put yourself in that situation. He is, I can guarantee you, he is thirsting for physical water in that instance. In, in that instance. But yet he says, oh God, thou art my God. 
You are my God in the good days. You're my God in the bad days. You are my God in the cities. You are my God in the desert. You are my God against Goliath. You're my God in the wilderness. And he's declaring that no matter what the enemy's going to do, I will stay with God. I'm not moving from God. I'm not... We got to make up in our mind, I'm not leaving God. I'm going to seek after God every single day. We got to get to the point where we say, oh, that's it right here. I'm declaring to the enemy today that I'm going to stay serving God. He can put anything against me. He can come against me with sword and spear. But I come before you and saying, I will serve God. There is nothing that's going to shake me one, one bit. There is nothing that's going to stop me from serving God. But first, you got to make up in your mind, I will serve God. You can't move me, Satan. Family issues cannot get me to quit serving God. I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. I'm here preaching to someone right now. Nothing's going to shake me. Nothing's going to move me. Oh, thou God, you are my God. You are my family God. You are my children's God. You are going to serve you all my life. But my soul is thirsteth for thee. It was thirsting for physical water, but yet here David is saying, my soul thirsteth for thee, God. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. My flesh longeth. He's in a dry and thirsty land. You got to understand he had been on the run at this point for years. He had been on the run for so many, so many times, for so long. And now he's at the point where he is penning these words. You go to verses two through four. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. God, my soul thirsteth for thy power. My flesh longeth for your glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live, while I I will lift up my hands in thy name. So the question has got to be, how do I get through a dry and desolate land? How do I get through a barren season? How do I get through a lonely desert? How do I find rest in constant struggle? How do I find peace in the constant battle? How do I, how do I find life in these areas? It's found in verse 4. Thus will I bless thee while I live. It was not based upon situation ever. Giving praise to God is not based upon your bank account. Giving praise to God is not based upon your family situation. Giving praise to God is not based upon where you are in your life. But it is a mind made up saying, God, whether I'm in the desert land, whether I'm in the wilderness, whether I'm in a bad spot or a good spot, I will bless thee while I'm alive. While there is still breath in my lungs, I'm going to praise you. While I can still move, I'm still going to praise you. It may not look good all around me, but God, I'm making a, de- de- uh, I'm making a declaration right now that I'm going to bless you while I'm alive. I will worship in the desert season. I will worship in the fruitful season. I will praise God where I'm at right now. I will praise God in my weariness. I will praise God in my strength. I will praise God in my struggle. I will boast. I will praise God while I'm alive. In my fear, I'm going to praise God. In my doubt, I'm going to praise God. No matter what comes against me, I will praise God. And some of you here today are hearing me, by, hearing me say this. And you've been in a rut, you've been in the wilderness for a long time, it may feel like. My question to you, to you is simply, have you been praising God? Have you been praising God in the wilderness? Have you, have you been praising God in the desert land? Have you been seeking after God 
in these areas. Have you been there before? Typically speaking, if you're going to go hiking or backpack, backpacking for a few days in, the, in any type of wilderness, you're going to pack all of your essentials. You're going to pack your food. You're going to pack water. You're going to pack a sleeping bag, maybe a small tent, and just some very small things with it. Now, I do not do a whole lot of hiking. I don't really enjoy that. I, I enjoy being in the woods, but I, that's usually in the fall for deer hunting. You know what I mean? But my good friend, Brother Andrew Herbs, he's, him and I, we talked a lot. He's going hiking, I think, in Wyoming, I think it is. But he's going on a multi-day trip, and he's telling me all this gear he has, these small tents and, like, sleeping bags. It's just a cool thing. But if you're going to be going in the wilderness for any sort of time, if you're going to be heading into the woodland of, of, of any kind, you're going to make sure you have your bare essentials. You're not going to pack a bunch of oatmeal cream pies. You're not going to pack a bunch of soda or anything like that. You're going to pack the things that are absolutely essential. You're going to keep this list pretty short because you realize when you're hiking in these areas, you have to carry everything you bring into the wilderness. Everything you bring into the woods or into the area, you have to carry, whether it's that you're walking up a peak or you're down in the valley. No matter what you're doing, you're always backpacking with something in your, on your back. And so, of course, the more things that you bring, the heavier the backpack's going to weigh, Right? You can't throw a 24-pack of Arnold Palmer in there. You're not going to want to do that. You don't want to carry that everywhere. It's like when you take your kids to the zoo or you take them to a place like that, you're trying to like bring as little as possible because you know you're going to be carrying a kid at some point, right? It's the same concept. You're going to probably bring just, just the essential stuff because the more you bring, the more it's going to weigh. The more you bring into the wilderness, you realize the harder it is to scale mountaintops. It's a lot harder. It's easy to go downhill, but once you get down to the valley, you start climbing that peak again. The more you have in your backpack, the harder it's going to be. So you're only going to pack essentials. You're, you're only going to keep the things that are going to be light. You see, sometimes the weirdness in the wilderness isn't only because of the terrain that we are facing. Sometimes we bring too much stuff into the wilderness. Sometimes we bring too much stuff with us in the wilderness. We pack items that are not essential that aren't going to help us when we get into the desolate area of the wilderness. The same goes for us spiritually when we are in the wilderness. We, instead of packing a lot of the hope and joy and peace of our situation, our trial, we carry struggles with us. We're carrying our depression with us. We're carrying anxiety with us, marital problems with us, family problems, work problems. The list can go on and on and on and on. But we get to a point where we are in the wilderness, of, we're in a trial with God, and we're getting weary. We're getting so bogged down saying, God, I, how do I go another day? How do I go another moment? God, I don't know how to do this by myself. And God's saying, look in your backpack. He's not saying he can't bring you through it. He's saying, just take a look in your backpack. What do you got with you right now in your trial? What's making you weary? What's making you have a hard time scale this mountain back up? What's, what, what are these things that are causing all this pain for you? What are all these things that you are choosing to bring? What are the things that you are, you're choosing to bring with you on this trial? Because you realize that sometimes we just bring the stuff into the wilderness with us. God never called us to bring those things there. But yet we bring our past mistakes. We bring our failures. We bring our doubt. We bring our fear. We bring our depression. We bring all these things with us in a trial. And I just want to tell someone today that you were never meant to carry your burdens with you into the trial. 
You were never meant to carry those burdens with you in the wilderness. There may be someone here today who's been in the wilderness, so to speak, for a very long time, and you got to look at the inventory you have right now. What are you carrying? Why are you so weary? Because according to Matthew eleven twenty eight, it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Isaiah 40, 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not be faint, and not faint. When you read scriptures like that, you realize you were never called to bring the burdens with you into the trial. When you read scriptures like that, you realize it's been kind of your own fault for keeping all these things on your own plate, saying, God, I got this. God, I can handle this. But God is saying, no, no, no. Cast all of your burdens. Cast everything you got at me because I care for you. I can give you rest. I can give you peace. I can give you joy. I can give you hope. Music can come. But the Bible is very clear to cast all of your burdens, all of your cares, all of your fears, all of your ideas. Cast everything you got to God because he cares about you. I know the enemy wants you to think that God does not care about you, but God cares about you. More than that, God loves you. God absolutely loves you in the good days and the bad days. When you're following God and when you're not following God, God loves you. You can't outrun God. You cannot outrun the call of God. You cannot outrun these things that God has been working on in your life. You cannot do it whatsoever. And I'm here to tell us today. And I felt very strong on the Holy Ghost in prayer for this message. That there will be people that are here today who are weary in well-doing. Who are weary in the wilderness. They are weary in the desert land, in the desolate, dry, isolated land. The weariness is not from this trial but it's from the things that you're bringing with you into the trial. There are things that you are carrying into your Monday, carrying into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There are things that you are carrying with you every single day. And God's not saying he called you to do that. He's saying, I called you to cast all your burdens, cast every bit of pain, cast every bit of anxiety, every bit of regret, every bit of shame cast everything to God because he cares for you let's all stand across the sanctuary thank you for listening to our podcast this week we hope you enjoyed this message remember if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.